Hi, everybody. Welcome to a live stream of what happens when uh, you don't get to test actual live um, wonderful world of LinkedIn. So we're going to give everybody a couple of minutes to trickle, trickle in here. Uh, hopefully find that link that I posted in the event, um, in the actual event opening there. Um, apologies for that. I had a feeling this was going to, to kind of happen here just because it's kind of a roundabout way. You have to put like keys in and everything and you can't, you're not allowed to link your Zoom to your LinkedIn until the this lobby actually opens. So I'm going to jump around and just put a couple of links in for folks um, if you haven't found it. Um, so how uh, how are you guys doing while we're letting everybody come in? Let's just talk about the day so that way we can get the, uh, the, the fun, easy stuff, you know, out of the way before we get to the meat and the bones while we give people the time to find my wonderful world of new links. We got 13 people in here so far. Uh, we're shooting for 3000, but you know. We'll see how close we get to that. Yeah, so yeah, how yeah. You, how's, how's your guys week been? It is Wednesday. It's a little nuts in my end of the world. Uh, you know, like a lot of things going on in spec, you know, personal life. Uh, so my wife is a filmmaker. Uh, so from time to time, she'll go down to LA. She like specializes in these like small budget uh, films that feature lots of like women and people of color. Uh, so she's nice. gone for like five days on shoot. Uh, so I'm like, you know, I you know, CEO of spec and also solo, you know, dog dad. Uh, and that's always <laughs> like a very special period of time where I'm like in and out of the office, taking care of these runs and, uh, uh, coordinating all that. Uh, has she had any sort of, uh, issues with like the writer's strike coming on down here? That's a pretty big oh. deal. We're at day 50 right now. Yeah. Yeah. So like all of the writing part of her works had to stop. Uh, and even this shoot that she's going on, they're literally going down because, uh, SAG, the Screen Actors Guild is, uh, talking about potentially a strike at the end of the month. So they like, are. oh, we we need to get all this in the can before the the, uh, the actor strike might potentially happen. Otherwise, like this, you know, this whole project goes off the rails. So it's uh, it's a little nuts in Hollywood right now. Yeah, it's like um, living down here. I got a lot of friends that are obviously working in that industry, and it's been um, it's been interesting because they had a lot of scripts done, like in that, and so that's that's been a thing. So they can shoot those. However, like um, any sort of rewrites and stuff that happen, they can't really shoot those um like so they can't change the script which is because then you're kind of you're, you're rewriting and you're and that's kind of gnarly so what i think it's going to happen is there's going to be um a little bit of uh of time where we have a bunch of reality tv it's going to be different than the last time when they did it about 15 years ago it's just going to be a ton of reality tv that's going to be happening so that that'll be um very fun for people that like that but um not a lot of fun for people like me that like really good scripted television um i just just wish that they would just pay the damn writers <laughs> like yeah, i mean sure. they're making tons of money we see these these i know hollywood accounting is a big thing down here where they make every film make it look like it, it's losing money but i mean the studios do make money and they, oh, yeah. they'll find a way to make more money i mean we're shoving advertising into everything on on all these films so just do more of that you know yeah, there's been this like, you know, this interesting thing. It's like, oh, we'll save a bunch of money by having like a, you know, writer, director, producer, like multi hat. It's like, ah, but what you've actually done is you've like put someone vital on your staff who's a member of three different labor unions, right? So, so like you have to have like all, all the stars and moon aligned in order for them to actually be able to work. Uh, so I think some productions are running into that problem in a pretty big way. Absolutely. And then Patrick, how are you doing before we jump in here? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Just working with customers and you know, occasionally trying to get around a golf in. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm playing on Monday again, and I'm playing um on next Sunday the second up in Oregon when I go. See oh, the nice. Day. Yeah, so I'll be good golfing with my brother on that Sunday up did you, there. Did you get a new set of clubs yet? I didn't. I need to go get them refitted because I am like nine feet tall and I have yeah. to hunch over when I when I hit. But I, I played um a couple of weeks ago and I shot pretty well with those clubs. I think it's because I've been playing more, which um I'm really enjoying. But I 
I still like my sweet spot of playing nine, but it's just hard to get other people that want because everybody else wants to play 18 and I want to play nine. But, you know, because I like to hit the clubhouse. Clubhouse. You just hit the clubhouse while they play the second nine. That's not a bad call. I'll just I'll see you guys afterwards and I'll be a little <laughs> different, different shape when you come in. So I think um, what we can do here is um, we're, we're starting to get a, a decent amount of people trickling in. So let's jump into some of the content. Um, we'll, we will kind of start with some of your guys' backgrounds to give a, a couple more minutes of, of trickle in before we get into the meat and bones. And one of the things that, that like I even wanted to do this today was I wanted to bring you guys in to talk about spec specifically. And we're going to kind of drop, drop this uh, banner down a little bit here so we can see each other in a little larger fashion. But I wanted to talk to you guys specifically about your product and what it does. And orchestration is, is currently a word that we're hearing a lot. Um, and, and in this industry, we are no, no strangers to buzzwords and what, what those things are. Everybody says they have machine learning. Everybody said they had AI and they, you know, AI is back. But orchestration is, is a newer word that people are talking about. And I was just at a conference last week in, in Nashville, and there was two different main stage presentations where they mentioned orchestration. And I think that there was a lot of confusion as to what that is and what that means. And I think you guys um, are one of the leaders in this space. Um, specifically in, in what you do in this fraud in chargebacks, payments, and customer journey. So I wanted to have you guys here to talk about your product specifically and have me ask you what I think it means and what it does, and then uh, just kind of clear the air on, on the differences there. And hopefully some folks in the, in the audience that might be watching this stream would have a pretty good idea coming away from this, maybe a clearer picture of what it is to say, ah, and have those aha moments. So I want to start with you guys, Nate and Patrick. You guys each introduce yourselves in the order that you would choose to. Uh, go over your history, if we could, real briefly here, and then we will dive into specifically what spec is and what it does. And I will start asking some questions about that. So, how do we? How does that sound, guys? Sounds, Sounds great. great. Yeah, yeah, Patrick. I'm gonna let you kick it off. All right, I'm Patrick Chen, co-founder and CEO at Spec. Been working in startups for gosh, probably 15 years now. Um, just always found myself at the you know meeting point of business and technology problems. Um, and this, you know, what we get to talk about today, I think, is you know, kind of at the intersection of a business and technology problem. So super stoked to be, you know, chatting with you and your listeners about that. Um, you know, worked at uh, Threat Metrics where I met Nate. Yeah. We went to eBay to to do a big payments initiative with eBay. And then I went to Payrix to help build out their. Um, you know, onboarding and transaction monitoring product. And then we decided to found spec because we just faced the same type of problem everywhere we went. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Yeah. And I'll take uh, over from Patrick. Yeah. So uh, Nate Carl, co-founder, uh, CEO here at spec. Uh, yeah, like Patrick been in the tech industry since I think 2007, 2008. Uh, spent, you know, really got things kicking off for me, I think, during my time in Akamai, where we uh, were mm -hmm. doing initial deployment of security services at the edge. So like joined when that was like zero dollars in revenue, went to about 300 million by the time I left. It was this amazing business of how do we take things that used to live in boxes or like, you know, in systems that are deep inside of data centers. How do we pull those out? We solve these problems on the Internet. Uh, and then eventually went to Threat Metrics, uh, where it ran uh, the global engagement team. So just think about the pre-sales, implementation, post-sales, you know, and uh, you know, the analysts uh, at Threat uh, who were helping some of the biggest brands in the world build their fraud stacks uh, and solve you know, evolving problems uh, yeah, related to Threat Metrics and kind of beyond. 
And then you know, ultimately went with Patrick over to, uh, you know, we went to, to eBay together to effectively build a ton of different risk products from the ground up uh, as we were displacing PayPal, who used to be taking care of all that for eBay uh, with Adyen, uh, which is this amazing experience of what could you do when you're kind of bolting on this $2 billion payments business? Uh, so you effectively have this blank check to build as much risk product as you can as quickly as you can. And we ran into this same class of problem over and over again. We knew that something like spec was the answer. I think we had like dreams about this from as early as 2014, writings on napkins in 2017. And it wasn't until the pandemic really kicked off. They're like, oh no, there's like, there's no time that's going to be better to actually make this thing happen than now. And uh, yeah, I think that the rest is uh, recent history. Yeah. And I worked with you guys, you know, during your time over at Threat Metrics. I was a customer, a longtime customer at multiple different companies. Um, so I was familiar with you guys. And then after the, the buyout, watched where you guys kind of went. And then it's it's interesting to see you guys come back together, like all of you guys, you know, get the band back together. Uh, I always thought you guys were a very talented group of people. So I'm happy to see that you guys have found each other again and are working together again, because I thought that the, the, the Threat Metrics product was always a great product. Um, so that means that great people had to create a great product. And then now that you guys are back together, I'm sure the product here is going to be great as well and is great. Um, you guys have been very kind to me to be a sponsor of me over this last quarter. Um, so I'm really happy about that. But um, obviously myself, we have been looking at the product with you guys at my company for for a while um, to, to try and find a fit there. I'm so happy to to be moving forward in some capacity there as well. So let's talk about orchestration. And let's talk about that word. So I think all of these things, Nate, like your, your time in Akamai is going to really come into play. And Patrick, obviously your long, long time over at, at Threat Metrics too, is, is come together to create an interesting product. And orchestration, this is how I think about it. And this is how it happens in my mind. And we'll talk about like what it means historically, how we had things and how I vision, like I envision this coming forward in the future. But orchestration to me is what we would think of as a payment gateway, but for everything else. So payment gateways included, but for fraud tools. So I would, and, and this is going to be the wrong word, but I would essentially integrate to you guys. And then when I integrate to you guys, I have a, a marketplace or a, a connector to all of these other tools and partners that you guys might have, as well as partners that you, you don't have, but that I want that you could connect to. So I only have to connect to you. And then from there, I get all of these things. And for me, in my head, as since I do this job every day and I have changes in, in my threats that happen every single day, is the cool thing that I think about for me is if I had that right now and all of a sudden my team launched a whole new product that required something like ID verification or email checking or something, I could just turn that on. And that's really, really, really powerful. Now, for me, in my reality of my actual world right now, one of the things that I'm thinking about the most that I could use you guys, and we'll talk about this in, in more detail, is historically we've run some sort of like POC with our vendors by giving them historical data. They, they, they crunch the numbers and they said, this is what we could have done. This is what you're at and blah, blah, blah. And you, you find a win. But there's no time and no better way to run a POC than doing it on live data. And with you guys, I envision in my head that I would be able to select like three vendors from this type. Like there's email verifications, there's there's IDV, there's fraud, there's chargebacks, um, there's payment processors. And I would be able to side-by-side -side compare those literally by just checking those things on. So this is what's happening in my head. So if you guys could talk about that and we'll talk about how it integrates to you, to how we get to you. But does that make any sense? 
It does, but like this is, you know, so uh, I'm like a long time like Dungeons and Dragons nerd, right? So I like run tables, do all this stuff like that. And players will have ideas. And like, you know, the, the key word is always yes and, right? It's just like, yes and, right? So, you know, I think uh, a lot of people use the word orchestration, even the way that you're using it now, it, it sounds a lot like, oh yeah, this is API calls and workflows, right? Which is like, it is a part of orchestration. Like you blow this thing out bigger to what orchestration actually is like. So there's like a big crunchy definition of orchestration that you can look up on Wikipedia. Uh, but like the way that we think about this, we talk about this is, you know, orchestration is the practice of activating data in real time. Um, so, you know, having to integrate an API, having to, you know, manage through these workflows is one piece of it. The bigger sense comes from like, if you think about all the internal projects that your team does, so are you sourcing new data out of the customer journey or out of their interactions? Are you implementing vendors like you're talking about? Are you connecting your backend tools? Are you uh, changing the way that you would like reshape a customer journey based off of all of these data points? These are all orchestration projects. You know, historically, you're going to give these all to your internal software developers to do that you know, ends up on their backlog. Our approach and our like uh, approach to orchestration is holistic. It is all of it from data collection to organizing how you connect to all your tools to how you actually shape that end user journey. Um, so like, yes, everything that you're saying and you know, everything that's upstream yes, and. With that and downstream of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Patrick. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, the practical, uh, practical application of that Jordan is just really, I, I break it down into like, see, understand and act. Right. So being able to see everything in the customer journey allows you to identify anomalies. Right. So are people doing um, inventory abuse? Um, are there actors that are doing account takeover like um, automated um, attacks? Um, you know, identifying that is, you know, the first part and the understanding by seeing how they progress through your site, how they're doing that, potentially why they're doing that is the second piece. And then finally, once you identify there's a problem, you understand the MO you can take action much faster. And that's what we mean by orchestration. That's the yes and. It's not just connecting to an IDV solution. It's not just seeing uh, a session replay. It's like the, you know, the whole entire flow of all of that data seamlessly working together in service of you and what your team's trying to do. Excellent. So historically, when we would go through our fraud processes, for example, we would have a long drawn out process where we would be looking at the different types of, of tools in the marketplace. So if we wanted something that was more automated, more hands-on, more rules-based, more AI-based, we would go through this long drawn out process and pick a tool. And then we would kind of be married to that tool for a while. So usually there's a, a longer development process of putting some sort of JavaScript on checkout pages. Um, and that's kind of where we started was we always kind of put them on the checkout page. And then we kind of moved more towards putting um, some, some stuff up on like the login pages, sometimes on account create, sometimes on like gift card checking and all those things. But there, there was always a spot that we had to pick and then we had to deploy something and then we had to like do some sort of API call to you guys with JSON, XML, whatever it may be to send you guys information so that, that they, could, they could actually make the determination on what we do, whether that be score based, whether that be like decision based, whatever it, the, the, the result might be. Um, a lot of the problems that came with that was like, you would kind of get, like I said, married to those solutions because you, it's difficult to do any sort of integration to that. And on top of that, like what you guys were just talking about is you only get that data when the customer actually does that action. 
So if the customer doesn't do that specific action, you don't get that data. You don't get anything. They could have been hovering around. They could have been hanging around. They could have been trying to exploit it. And, and if they didn't click like that checkout button, for example, that session might have not existed to you guys unless you had a, some other check earlier. So a lot of these problems is like we would we would see things happen that were in, at a point that wasn't necessarily where we had put this fraud tool that we just spent 18 months developing. And then we would find exploits. Like a, a great example is like we had um, some a recent spatter card testing against our site, you know, and there's it's, there's a lot that we can do and there's a lot that we did do. So like nothing was wrong there, but it just was something that was happening. And we we had wanted like to put something there, but we didn't want to put any friction in there. Like we didn't want to put too much friction in there. So it would have been nice if we could have just jumped in and secured that endpoint with an additional product quickly if we wanted to, instead of having to do a whole actual process where we we did a, we are actually are now working on on putting a whole new call to, a, to our existing fraud tool even earlier in the process than we had initially wanted to because we don't want to run into a lot of friction we, like our false positives we care about you know but it's just something that like it, it's it's taking time now we have to scope out the size of the project we have to get developers involved they have to we have to bump their projects and then do a whole new deployment when I think with what you guys are doing is is changing how we can approach doing that piece, but as well as looking at all the noise. So like a, a, a website like it's as busy as mine gets, you know, like 46 million unique sessions on it a month. And we don't like of what logs in is, is still in the millions, but it's like 70% of that, you know, is just, we saw them on there. We know they're not bots. They're doing something. They're look, browsing through products. They're looking at things. They might be scraping data, you don't know, but they're doing something. And you guys kind of give us the visibility into that by the way that you integrate, the way that we would connect to you. So let's talk about how we as, as merchants would connect to you guys in a different fashion that's different than how we would traditionally do this and then what the byproduct of that is, if we could. Totally. Yeah, and you're, you're talking about setting up a new checkpoint earlier in the customer journey with new data flowing to it. Man, that sounds like an, integrate, uh, an orchestration project. Right, it <laughs> like does. at its core, it's it's another orchestration project. So, and that's the core of it. It is, you know, if you think about how your site would operate on the internet if no one visited it, like zero people, if it was just like cold, right? Nothing would happen, right? You know, it's it's the visits, it's the views, it's the interaction that really trigger everything off. So, instead of the way that everything else in this space deploys, where it is something that you have to call deep in your backend, we sit out on the edge of the internet. And we watch that same user interactions that your site sees. So the same things that trigger your application to render pages, present checkout pages, to you know light up order systems in order to you know ship product, we watch those same interactions and then give you the ability to orchestrate all of your connections, orchestrate all of your workflows, collect whatever data off of those interaction streams that you need in order to power those decisions, to power those tools and to drive that forward, right? So instead of all of these orchestration projects that you would chase internally as like a back-end development project, you're actually getting that done on our platform with clicks instead of code, right? Excellent. So let's talk really about like what you get as far as visibility goes so what what do you guys see and what does that mean for us as merchants yeah what what we see is every interaction right i think you hit the nail on the head jordan um so if we take a you know real customer example for account logins right 
from you know our time at Threat Metrics and you working with Threat Metrics, you know you probably hook up the API call at login success, right? Um, so when some you know when I have the right credentials, you'll do a risk assessment. You'll figure out what's going on. Um, for our customer, we saw seven hundred thousand login attempts over a four hour period, with twelve successful login attempts. Right. So that contrast between understanding the risk in, you know, kind of looking at 700,000 unsuccessful login attempts, like the pattern of behavior, the IP addresses that are being yes. used and looking at it from just the context of 12 uh, successful logins is massive. So the importance of the visibility that we provide is orders of magnitude more than what a standard, you know, implementation might have. So I think yeah. like, like where my mind kind of goes with that is like, you know, everybody has a CDN because obviously, because that's how we would connect to you guys. And there's a certain amount of, of, of bot mitigation and things like that, that happens there. But I don't think what people realize is there's a lot of stuff that isn't bots that still is, is noise on their sites. And there's, there's value in knowing what people are doing on your site and how they're interacting, not only for like, for trying to stop bad actors. Like, I don't want to like, like, like not, all traffic that's in that noise is bad. It's it's probably largely a good amount of customers on there and they're up to something. And it can help you figure out how to convert those customers. Where are they stopping? Where are they going? Is there a frustration point on there? Like I, I know there's there's a lot of companies that do like the session replay stuff. And I'm sure you guys have some some partners in that space that that you they could use your technology to do that. And it could be very valuable. Like we, we found across multiple websites that I've ever used these sorts of tools on like the, the, the session replay stuff on like pain points, like where things just were broken, they weren't even working. And that was why the customers disappeared is because it, that, that piece that we thought was working, wasn't even working, or they were clicking in the wrong area or the art wasn't quite right. You know, there's a lot in there that, that can be found in that. But as far as like what you get out of having a, a platform of this customer journey thing, I think the, there's two parts, you know, for me, for me in my head, there's two major parts. There's getting all of that customer data and knowing what they're up to, where they're coming from, where they're going, what they're doing on the site. What is all that noise? All those, those like 40 million that you might, might not necessarily know what they're up to. And then the, the options that I have to, to change things and, and, and improve things on the fly. So, I mean, if we could kind of just talk about some of the partners and if you guys have any more real world examples of like maybe what, what you guys did with this 700,000 uh, for the one client that you have right now that had this issue, like, what did you guys do? What were the, some of the options? What were the results of that? If we could. Yeah, totally. And I'll let like Patrick get into like the, the deeper uh, piece on the customer examples. I think, you know, anyone who's been following like our journey along this, you, you know, may remember that a year ago we weren't spec, we were spec trust. And what happened as soon as we started selling our, you know, into some of these businesses, uh, they were so impressed by what we were doing for, you know, fraud and abuse teams that, you know, marketing teams wanted to get involved, infosec teams wanted to get involved, you know, our core commerce teams and these uh, customers, they wanted to get involved. And they're like, oh, this is, this is a much bigger uh, platform than specifically around like the fraud orchestration piece of it. And that's a lot of what like, let us understand it's like, okay, like we need to actually kind of you know, take a step back and like, look at what we've actually built and how the market wants to use it. And we've seen that come up in our, our customers over and over. Uh, but yeah, I'll let Patrick kind of take on some of the specifics. Yeah, for our, you know, for our multiple customers, one of our other customers um, utilizes us in a strictly guest checkout flow and really understanding what consumers are doing um, gives immense visibility, right? So a typical orchestrated checkpoint is at the point of payment, right? 
Um, but what happens before that payment, right? If it's a if it's tickets to an event, uh, an individual or an attacker could be abusing um, access to the tickets. So we'll actually see uh, reseller abuse that's coming in to hold tickets. We can see how long somebody's um, held tickets and identify patterns uh, such as a particular session where somebody held tickets for 24 hours, right? That's tickets that you or Nate or I and our families don't get access to because somebody's held them for a ridiculous amount of time, right? And never resulted in a checkout. Reservation abuse is such a bigger problem than people realize. So reservation abuse on tickets, on hotels, even on inventory. Like we we have had challenges in the past where, where people cart inventory and try and hold it too long. I mean, we it was something that we were aware that they were trying to do. So we were changing where we would pull inventory from. It's, it's really hard balance to try and find like when to pull inventory correctly because you don't want someone to cart something and then an hour later try and check out and then have it be gone, <laughs> you know? But at the same time, like you want them to, you don't want to type the inventory for somebody else if they're just sitting there in the cart having it there for 24 hours. So that's a very challenging thing. And yeah, so, and then, but ticketing um, reservation abuse, I think everybody's always aware of that one because that's kind of changes when, when uh, you can kind of, if people get so mad and they're like, you know, I see it on the, the, the resale market already. A lot of that's speculative. Like they're just holding the, the tickets in their cart right now while they try to see what's going on with the with the resale market before they actually make the purchase. So yes, reservation abuse is a way bigger problem than people realize. But continue, and, please. And even outside of reservation abuse, like we're seeing, you know, more and more marketing dollars being moved towards like affiliates and influencer channels, which are very much driven on scarcity sales and like these like big event pushes. And in those type of environments, there is you know, generally a limited capacity to ship, you know, if it's like a, some sort of artificial scarcity and like they need the real timeness to really understand what's happening and unblock problems there because it's it's a rife area for abuse, uh, especially as you're thinking about how, uh, you know, these affiliates uh, get compensated. Absolutely. Uh, affiliate thing. We're just, we're starting up a new affiliate channel too. This morning, I just found out too. So I have to <laughs> do go into some documentation about that. But I think we're using third-party affiliates for that. So they're just like, what's going to happen? I'm like, well, churn's going to happen. That's for dang sure on that one, you know, it's, but nothing we can really do about that. And hopefully the affiliate partner has some, uh, some sort of, maybe they need to call you guys. <laughs> we have solutions. There we go, Patrick, but please continue. Sorry, I jumped over in the middle there. I just get excited when I hear people talk about things like reservation abuse. No, totally. And what you described is, is an orchestration project, right? So how do you treat different cohorts of customers through the flow, right? Do you want to let a certain cohort uh, keep items in their cart for longer, right? Based on their total customer lifetime value spent with you. Um, that's an orchestration problem, right? You have to hit your, you know, client data platform to find out like that information, orchestrate a call and then change the outcome for that particular cohort, right? Versus some brand new customer, like that maybe you want to just dump that card after 24 hours. So we can do it even in that, that granular with like, like, oh, that's pretty interesting there. I mean, that's a really great idea, but yeah, keep going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that's, uh, that, these are the types of orchestration products that take a huge amount of uh, investment from your, your engineering teams, right? If you think about moving that checkpoint you described um, you know, earlier, that takes a huge amount of work. Now, if you wanted to build in the logic to switch between the two or even add a third checkpoint, that's all orchestration projects, right? So we could do that in a number of clicks in one connection to spec, and then in a couple of clicks in our platform to change that workflow to call out to third parties at different times. These are the orchestration projects that Nate was referencing 
that spec takes off the plate of um, our customers, merchants, marketplaces, or fintechs. And we can use like completely custom like APIs too, like stuff that you guys might not even be official partners with too, right? You guys want to talk yeah. about your little open API situation a little bit? Yeah, from a technology perspective, there's a, a ton of pieces of secret sauce. You know, I think the the core of it is like, hey, we want to be able to operate on anything that happens on the internet. Doesn't matter which you know applications we're protecting. Doesn't matter what tools or data sources we're connecting to. Uh, so the way that uh, spec works is you know, we don't have these like hard you know, hard coded connectors in the back to specific partners. We can literally move data from anywhere to anywhere. Um, if it's a REST API, we can uh, we can effectively move it across. Um, so our customers typically will show up. Uh, you know they have this big backlog of orchestration projects. You know we identify who the uh, they think of the different tools and endpoints, and you know all we effectively need are the API keys, and we're we're good to go. We're off to the races. We have you know a, a UX to to handle that. If you're more technical, uh, you know if you've used something like Postman before, you can use Spec to configure an, an API connection to pretty much anywhere. That's pretty great, right there. I think like I just keep going through like all these things in my head is like when I when I was running this POC that we did last year. If I would have had something where, because what, what happened with us is like, we were, we had an idea of some vendors that we wanted to POC specifically just to see. And, and we were, we were, we liked our existing vendor. It was just a little more hands-on than we needed it to be. And um, iHerb is a interesting company for those that don't know. We, we run health and wellness products, not weed, health and wellness products in 188 countries. Now we do have a couple of things happening like on, on Chase offers and on Amex offers right now. But a lot of times people here in the US are kind of like, I've never heard of iHerb. But outside of the US, iHerb is a, is a household name. But a lot of the markets that we have um, as our core markets are more challenging markets. Like it's underserved, underbanked. So that's why we have a lot of success there is like we are, are offering products that people have a desire to have but don't have an easy way to obtain. But with that comes a lot of challenges with people that are trying to exploit things or people that are, that are bad actors, you know, trying to game the system, use fraudulent um, sources of payment or, or funding to get these products and then usually resell them or do some sort of other action with them. But historically, when we have been writing fraud rules or, or addressing fraud trends, it is more of a a reactive way than, than a proactive way. So we went to market to try and see if, if we had the best option that we had, that we didn't have to be so reactive and maybe have something that would surface things to our attention a little more. And we had wanted to, to POC a number of, um, of vendors, but the problem was, is like one of them, we had already started a little bit of development on, and then I kind of pulled back the, the contract on that one and wasn't quite the tool that I wanted to use when I joined. Um, and that kind of frustrated some of our developers because they had obviously been spending an, a tremendous amount of time working on this project. And then, um, so one of the other ones, we were a little further down the road. So we, we were moving forward with that. But the third one that I really, really, really wanted to, to, to see how they did, we, um, we were not able to finish the test on that because of the Ukraine and Russia conflict happening where we were heavily in the Russian market. It's no secret. We talked about it many a times in, in a lot of our, our presses and everything. So we had to stop doing business with this country, which then obviously had a financial harm to our business as, as an overall situation. And we had to adjust to that. Now we're coming out of this very well, like anybody can see in press releases, I heard having a good time now, but at the time, like we had to evaluate what some projects we were working on. And one of them that got scrapped was POCing the third vendor and actually ended up being the second vendor on there too. So we only went like, with the incumbent versus the new one that we are now, we just press release that we went with Riskified as our new, our new provider. But um, 
it would have been so much easier and so much nicer if I had been able to run the POC through something like you guys, where I could have just picked the ones I wanted or even brought in another one that you guys aren't partnered with and say, Hey, connect to this real quick, the rest API all day resting. But, uh, you know, it's just, for me, it's such a, a big, a big thing on, on what we could have done had we had this to me. And I, I keep going back to that. I know I talk about it all the time. I just want to really drive that point home. I talked to you guys, Patrick, when we were in Dallas, I talked to you about it. It's just such a game changer for how we evaluate solutions. And I think that like for years, like I've used the big boys at other companies for years. And some of the reasons that we stay with the big boys is because it's so difficult to change anything. And it's just like, we can't, we can't try these new technologies and we hope that they will develop these new technologies. And they often try in, in some sort of capacity to develop these technologies. But sometimes I just want to try the new hotness just to see if, if I could get a lift. Like when we switched from our last tool, which was great, by the way, it was just more hands-on than we needed it to be. But it has completely revolutionized how we have been approaching fraud fighting at this company and has made our, especially our markets where we were more critical about, we have been way more accepting of those customers and way more people are getting their products based on the, 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 the additional technology that we get and using these new emerging technologies. So I put a ton in there, guys. <laughs> Um, if you guys would like to comment on that, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, we saw this when we were at Threat all the time. It's like, you know, it's like, hey, we we really you know believe in this product. We think we're going to outperform everything. We'll let you POC it for free, right? And our customers, you know, and prospects that when we were at Threat were always like, yeah, but free is not really free. Like, I have to spend up this, you know, these development resources. Like, mm -hmm. I think the smallest number I was ever quoted by a prospect when I was at Threat was sixty thousand dollars, right? Some of them were huge right it's like it's like a million dollars to try it right but like yeah. sixty thousand dollars so if the smallest number is sixty thousand dollars that's a really nice truck right that's a really mm -hmm. nice truck right so like if, if that is you know what it takes to try out a product for free how and it's you get only done? get like 30 days like mm -hmm. so you spend like six months trying to develop this sign in dpas sign in msas and then you got 30 days and you hope that like the the issue that you're trying to address is maybe inside that 30-day window because if it's not, you have no idea. Like, and then so 30 days to decide if you're going to be married to a solution for three years on you're coming off of a solution that you've been with for 15 years. Bonkers to me. Yeah. Like yeah. absolutely bonkers. Oh, and, and and three years is cute, right? You know, like it's not always three years. I think every I think a couple times a month we bump into someone who's like, oh, what's in your fraud stack right now? And they're like, uh, they it's like it's a it's a word, it's a name and a face. So they just say, Iovation and their face just kind of like does this thing, right? It's just like, okay, I get it. Like you, know, like you, you want out, you just are having a hard time doing it. Yeah, right? which is no slight to TransUnion. Like, uh, no, you guys provide a lot of value. Uh, hey, and they and but, they were uh, Iovation yeah. was first on the um, the device ID thing. That they were the pioneers yeah. in that space. So. Totally, got to right? give them that. Exactly, exactly. But you know, it's just like what we find people say. Like, oh yeah, like we're we're looking to try some of the easier words, like the new hotness, right? Uh, and it's just getting that prioritized is just so hard. Right. Um, but yeah, like I know uh, Patrick, you bump into this even more than I do. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's more than just trying the new hotness. It's, I think Jordan, we talked about like making sure the new hotness works for you. Right. I think each one of these vendors has like a really critical piece in your fraud stack and finding out what exactly that value is and how it might help in a, geographically disperse, you know, business like iHerbs, right? It's it's not a guarantee that every single vendor performs the best in all of the different geos that you care about, right? And being, you know, being able to access the hotness for North America, 
for Europe, for APAC, South America, et cetera, is, is super critical to your business. Absolutely. And I, so, you know, we've been approaching fraud fighting, I think at this company, especially in a more strategic fashion, as far as like geos do go. And I, and I, you know, that's an excellent point to make is like, there is not one, one fraud tool fits them all. You know, this isn't the Highlander of fraud. It's like, you might need a different tool for a different area. And some things I might need more things than I might need others. Like I might need to email verify, you know, everybody in, in the US, or I might need to address verify everybody in the US, but that's not going to work when I'm trying to ship to lockers in Russia, you know, like there's a very different need for each individual region. And if I'm using a tool here, I might not need to use a tool there. And the same thing, like, I, th I think this just comes back to me in my head thinking about like the same thing how we did for like payment gateways is like a lot of people don't use the same PSP globally. They pick out which PSP is right for the right region. And they kind of go for there. And like, I think, even like needing multiple PSPs for like fallback for, for issues, you know, like if, if you're, if you're a global company, billion dollar company and your payment processor goes down, which usually they say they don't, but they do, you need to be able to have a, a cutover or if something breaks on your side, you need to have a cutover, you know, or if Visa or MasterCard decide to shut off your authorizations, you need to have something that you can jump to. So can you guys talk a little bit about payment orchestration and what, what options you guys might have there for that sort of thing? Do you guys have something there? Totally. Yeah. And uh, I think we can even talk, you know, a customer example. So like one of the things that we bump into is that we'll work with a large company, they will sign a global agreement to provide some sort of service, if that's transaction risk assessments, if that's payments, you know, what have you. And then they find out they get into a new uh, geo and their transaction decline rate is triple what it is in that new geo from everything else. Right. So we're running into that uh, right now with uh, one of our customers where they were pretty sure they had like the perfect mix to get around the globe. Uh, and it, it's, it's not performing the way that they need to uh, in one specific geo. Uh, so like what we've been able to do in spec is like one, like stop the bleeding in terms of, uh, okay, let's like look at your customers. It's a large cart total, uh, you know, kind of going through, you're getting to a transaction decline. We're giving them a custom experience. We're creating workflow for, you know, that customer's team to reach out and try to manually uh, kind of like close those transactions. These are really big ticket orders. Uh, but also even setting up like, okay, cool. Like if we're delivering this to someone who is, you know, in this geo, you know, this geo is like where the actual customer lives. Let's put this through different payment rails. Let's put this through different transaction risk scoring, uh, you know, that is better tuned to perform is better in this environment. Um, you know, the historical one size fits all is something that, you know, it's been kind of pushed from a complexity perspective. Because if you think about the internal orchestration work of like, no, no, different geos get different things. There's like no way, right? You know, yeah. it's hard enough to stay up you know, on one globally. Uh, but like we're making that just a ton easier. Um, so but can I ask you with that, with that particular client, like when they started encountering these issues to when you could help them address those issues, how, what was the time, like the time length in there? <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, there was something that bubbled up over the weekend. Someone sent like a panicked email to the leadership on a Sunday. We found out about that on a Monday morning. And then we had that uh, that new flow built out by Monday afternoon, right? Yeah, so like it was really fast for us to get them into a spot where they can start to recover, you know, that lost revenue. Um, they, the, the thing now is literally just the, the contracting and procurement part of like figuring out who's going to be, you know, in that geo, their preferred provider for payments at risk. Yeah, that's why I think everybody should maybe start looking. It used to be like kind of taboo to have more than one like payment processor. Like it was just like, that's kind of cheating. It's kind of unfair. But like now it's so critical is to be up and to be able to take a payment 
that you almost can't afford to not have multiple payment processors, you know, especially if you're a global business, like where you're really diversified, like things change geopolitically, as I know at this business, like literally overnight, and then you can't do business there tomorrow. So you have to be able to figure out what you're going to do, where you're going to go next and how you're going to change some of that up. So yeah, Jordan, let me ask you a question. If you needed to get all your payment processors of choice around the globe hooked up, what, how long do you think that would take for a business to scale of iHerb? The business to scale of iHerb? Um, 18 months, probably. I mean, I think we could probably do, if we really put all hands on deck, we could probably do it in a, probably like nine to 10, maybe even 11 months. But it's it's all the work that comes before. I mean, payment processing is a serious situation. Yeah. I mean, it's how we make our money. And like, I know the percentages of my business that go through like credit cards, for example, like we take 39 different payment methods here. So like, basically, if you're in any geography that has a, a, a preferred payment method, like we probably take it most likely. But hooking all of those things in can be challenging sometimes because not everything hooks into our PSP exactly. Um, so some of those we have to do direct connections and those take time. But to switch our, our actual payment processing would take a very, very, very long time because we have to go to market, do the RFP. We have to do the contract. We have to do a ton of, of PII situations. We have to figure out how it's going to work on tokenization, how it's going to work on authorizations, how we're going to do card updaters, all these things. How are we going to do the actual integration? Are we doing a custom actual checkout flow in our actual page? Are we doing a hosted payments page? Are we fully doing a redirect? Um, which some geos need a redirect, you know, not, not, yeah. not all of them. Like you can't, you can't, hopefully nobody's saying, oh, you don't want to do a redirect. Some actually expect a redirect. So you got to do it that way, but it can be a lot of work by the time we actually go live with testing, even it's probably going to be several, several, several months down the, down the road. And then if the test goes into successful, we're probably at least a year on, on a minimum out of there, you know? And like, that's, that's frightening to me if I was to have one, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, what happens if it breaks? What happens if we get shut off? You know, like what happens if they go out of business? Like, thankfully we have multiple ones because we have a lot of merchant of record processing in, in other territories like South America, you know, where like we don't necessarily have an entity. So we have to use merchant of record processing there, but we, it's something that we are constantly looking at. I think people underestimate the, the cost of payments at their business. I think they just kind of take for granted, like, oh, we have some, a solution that's working. Um, so we think, and it's working on all these, but they don't really drill down into the fees as much as they should be. They don't look at like what the tech stack is. They don't look at the connections and the partners. Like you might not have the most popular payment method in Singapore. You know, you might not have the right payment method at all in Singapore. Or now, you know, in Brazil is a great example was historically, like it's always been like Boletos and then a little bit of credit cards mixed in. And then almost overnight, like I think it was in 2021, uh, they started picks. And by the government, you know, and like I actually just recorded an episode yesterday about faster payments. It's going to be coming out in a couple of weeks. And we talk about picks and like that went to like 83% adoption in like a month. And if you didn't have picks, like you were kind of going to be dead in the water pretty soon. And, and these are things that I think is like, we always are talking about faster and how can we react to everything faster and in fraud specifically, everybody that's listening to this has known an issue has popped up overnight that you needed to address. And how do you address it? What do you need to address? Well, hopefully you could go in and write some rules. Historically, you've gone in and write some rules. And then you answer, 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 answer. But what if your fraud tool doesn't have what you needed to have? Then what are you going to do? Okay, so all of a sudden, like your fraud tool has never told you the email reputation. So you can block a domain or you can block the emails. You block a domain, tomorrow they're just going to 
add another letter to the domain, or they're going to put like a subdomain in the email domain, and then they're back in business. So you're playing this whack-a-mole thing. If you have like intelligence around an email provider, like let's say an email, for example, or even an Ikata is a great example where they give you a little bit more intelligence about that. They can say that email domain doesn't even exist. And then you know what to do with that. But what if you didn't already have that? So all of a sudden you're getting attacked by all these subdomains in this specific region, and then you don't have any way to vet, vet those outside of just sitting here and having somebody block those things or sending everything to manual review that's coming through that channel. That sounds daunting if you're a business that has any sort of actual volume in any sort of level. But I guess with you guys, I've already thought about this is I could just click on my email provider, get my what I need out of it until hopefully this thing goes away or maybe move on to a more permanent basis, what it would be. But firing these things strategically, this isn't an all or nothing thing. And I, based on what I've heard, you guys would help me say like, okay, at these transactions coming out of like uh, China, they need to have be hit with this specific tool that then goes to this tool and then we let them go through, you know? Or where do they come from? Like, where do they come from? Where do they go? You know, broad eye, Joe. But like, we could figure that stuff out. And it's, it's for me, it's kind of exciting um, that there are these, these sorts of options that we could have using a tool like you guys. So I just put yeah. a ton of information in there. So yeah. let's talk about it. And that. it's, it's absolutely critical in my opinion, right? So if you look at cartel, like not just hooking up these different forms of payment, which was part of the challenge that Nate and I experienced at eBay, right? Forms of payment around the globe and trying to do all of that at the same time was insane, right? It took forever, but like there's, like multiple, like, like multiplication factors of complexity, right? Like, you know, for each of those forms of payment, you might want to do a pre-auth or a post-auth check, depending on the riskiness of that payment method, right? And I would say, even with credit card payments, you know, why not both, right? At some points, you might want to do a, you know, post-auth risk assessment, because why would you want to check the riskiness of it if you don't, if you know that you can't even accept that payment, right? But other times, if you're under a card testing attack, wouldn't you want to put your risk provider in front of that, right? So that you're not getting 10,000 auth attempts without a you know successful capture, right? So having the ability to, you know, kind of slice and dice and build workflows, not just to send to different forms of payments, but within those forms of payments to at different times or per different form of payment to do different types of checks, an email check, uh, risk, you know, payment risk check, all of that is really important to the health of your business and more importantly to get that conversion factor to revenue that uh, businesses need to survive so i want to talk just like ever so slightly as we start to wrap things up here we are almost at time here is just like some of the ideas about like where things like this like so okay if i had a problem crop up like right now like let's say i have someone that's like just abusing my refunds or or churning rewards points and i wanted to drop some a tool in on that how quickly in reality in actual time could I go from making a phone call to you and say, I have this specific problem happening. Here's where it is that we could deploy a solution that I've that I'm not that I'm not using currently. I completely not using like anything. So your time frame is hours, but the reality is, and like this is like the first thing that people realize when they you know get onto our platform, you probably already have the data that you need to isolate this problem and shut it down. You probably don't need to go find another tool. You probably have enough information and in how they're interacting with your site compared to your regular users and what that pattern looks like. If you don't, right, uh, connecting other tool is really as simple as getting an API key. And most of our partners will just hand us, you know, an API key on your behalf to like do this on a trial basis. Or if you already have a pre-existing relationship, yeah. I'll say that if you go to any of the major providers, say, hey, I want to trial you guys right now, send me over your DPA, right? And you can get that through your legal process relatively quickly. We can get you connected with them hours. 
that's pretty insane hours. Yeah, and how it works in nuts and bolts, right? Jordan, you've seen this, right? It's like, as Nate mentioned, all a lot of the data you need is already there in that the network request, right? So us sitting and you know, orchestrating from the network layer by connecting to us via CDN gives us access to all of that data, right? So if it's mm. a add to car with a product category that exists in the URL, we have access to that, right? So we'll be able to grab that build a workflow, call out to some third party that you may want, or utilize that data in some logic to take action, right? Yeah. Um, we've, you know, we showed you a demo of how that works, right? We have the ability to demo with the information that exists on our like prospects or non-customer sites. Um, so we can actually do that. Our marketing team wants us to make a plug. Like if you want to see a demo, hit our website, yeah, www.specprotected.com to, to see a demo. But all of that data is accessible via configuration. We'll get it, um, you know, orchestrated in a matter of minutes. So yeah. I do, I do want to talk about that, like um, real quick. Is yes, because because so just so everybody knows, like when you're CDN, all of your data goes through your CDN. Like there's just no way. So with Spec actually integrated at the CDN level, they're going to see all of the data. So everything, like that's all. That's not, that's where I'm talking about those 40 million missing things. Is it's it's it has to go through them. So they have to be able to see it, and that's that's pretty insane. So one of the things too, as we wrap this up right now, we'll talk about where, where people can find you, how they can find you, where they can see you in person. But I do want to talk about demos because I want anybody that's interested to contact these guys and see a demo because that's how I first really got going with you guys was you guys came to me and showed me a demo and you literally brought up my own site and it was my site and you were clicking on things in real time and doing actions, doing interdictions, showing me the data, device profiling it. It was awesome. So can you talk about a little bit? I know how you guys do it. I know how you guys do it with like by loading an instance and the thing, funneling all your own traffic through that instance into the site, but it's really cool. So can you just talk about a little bit about how you guys do demos as we wrap this up and then talk about where people can find those demos in real, like not only emailing you, which we'll put up the emails in just a minute, but where they can see you in person coming up. Yeah, Patrick, can I take it? Yeah. So how we do that is exactly through the network, right? So we pipe um, our, our SE's laptop through our platform. Uh, we point it at, say, www.iherb.com. We'll see all of the network requests coming through, right? And I think the beauty of it was, I think we first asked you, Jordan, we're like, hey, what, do you, what are you trying to do, right? Um, and you shared with us, like, oh, I, you know, I want to get this vendor put in place um, prior to checkout. And then we showed that actually happened right, through uh, your existing checkout flow, right? And I think that was, um, that's really kind of what we're after, understanding what leaders like you and your organization are trying to do and showing how that orchestration lift doesn't have to be through your existing resources, right? How we can accelerate your resources, you know, basically deploying what the business teams need in a much easier, more streamlined and faster, and if I may, better way then it's, it's been done before. Where you can see us, we'll, we'll be at uh, MRC Santa Clara. Um, we'll be at Money 2020. Um, there's probably some other um, you know, conferences we'll try to attend. Um, we'll be sponsoring other, you know, probably Fraud Boxer in Q4. We'll have other sponsorship opportunities and webinars coming up as well. And then as always, like hitting our website, um, you can request a demo and uh, we'll connect with you in real time. So like the inside inside secret line, just for the people who are uh, here and then watching this, uh, we do hold a number of uh, these like private roundtable fraud fighter dinners regionally from time to time. 
um, like please reach out to, to Patrick or I, and we'll uh, let you know when the next one's happening in your area. Everybody, I really encourage you to get the demo. Like just, just make the phone call and make the demo just, just to see, just to see what the new hotness looks like. It's kind of fun. It's really, really, really fun. Um, they're great people just to talk to. They're great people to go to dinner with. So join any of those little roundtable dinner things that might be happening regionally in your area. But like they said, WWW Spec Protected, I am going to put up a slide at the end of this where I'm going to leave up until the live stream on LinkedIn actually catches up to where we are, because I believe it's a little bit behind right now. So I'm just going to put that up as we sign out of here and then everybody will just I'll, I'll leave it all going, leave it live just to make sure. Because like I said, everybody, thank you for bearing with me. This was the very, very, very first uh, live stream of all time. Uh, that I've done. So um, I've been a part of other ones, but usually it's it's a different, it's more of a webinar capacity, not live on, on LinkedIn. They click out. I wanted it to be live on LinkedIn so other people could see it, find it, you know, all of our friends. I want to thank you guys for, for first of all, being the sponsor of Frau Boxer for all of Q2. That was really, really nice. I hope you guys got um, what you needed out of that. I'll see you guys in Q4 again for that one. But I want to thank you again for giving me all of the time that it took to put this together, all the notes, giving me your time. I know you guys are busy people. You do have a business to run and it's a cool business. Um, I hope to see you guys at these conferences. I'm going to try and get it out to Money 2020. Um, I'm going to try and get to MRC Santa Clara. But um, I will put up all of the information in any sort of post thing that I do. I'll probably put this audio up um, as an episode on the thing as well. Um, and then I'll try and put the video up, depending on if LinkedIn lets me, um, as a post on there too, so people can actually uh, watch. So yeah, thanks again, guys. Perfect. Thanks, Jordan. Uh, it was a pleasure yeah, being on. Thanks for having us, man. It's been fun. Yeah, that's been it's been a pleasure of mine, guys. Um, go ahead and just uh, you guys leave. I'm going to leave this on until I see it catch up over here because I don't know what's happening. And right now I'm going to go ahead and share our wonderful little uh, banner. If it gives me a second over here to move this, I need to make it um, full screen, actually. You know, this is this is happening in real time, everybody. This is proof that we are live right now. <laughs> we are live, live, live. <laughs> full screen over here. I got to go around the mic on there. Uh, and let's see. Let's get the right one. I believe this one has our. Uh, let me just double check here. See, live guys, live. <laughs> Boom. How are we looking? Is that us? Is that our emails Perfect. right there? That is us and our emails. Yeah. Amazing. It's been fantastic, Jordan. All right, guys. Well, thanks again for joining. You guys are more than welcome to drop and I will just leave this going for the time being. Awesome. awesome. Perfect. Thanks, Jordan. Bye, guys. <laughs>